You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. Welcome here this morning. We're glad you've joined us for worship in God's Word. If you're here for the child dedications, extra special welcome. Uh, we're just going to do what we do every Sunday. We're going to worship and we're going to open up God's Word uh, this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you're visiting with us and you don't have a Bible and you're like, I'd like to follow along, that's great. Put your hand up, please. And one of our ushers will get a copy of God's Word in your hands. And uh, we really want you, to, if you don't have one at home, to take this home with you. It's the greatest gift you could ever receive. It's the gift of life as you see Jesus. Jesus through his through God's word. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, we're going to tackle the last section of this book. Now finally, the conclusion of this little letter that is small in content, but significant in contribution to our lives as believers. And in reality, we're coming to the end of the book, but last week was the final chapter of the book. The, book, the conclusion of the book was really last week uh, that Brett preached at the end of chapter 11. The whole book was driving to this reality. The whole book was reminding us that, hey, Jesus is coming back soon. And then verse 11, like, don't forget that you need to live in light of Jesus coming. And that's really like stories over end of the book. And so then why do we have some more text here? This is kind of like the appendix of the book. You know, like, like when the, the chapter's over and then there's some appendix. Anyone read the appendix? A couple of you guys, you're smarter than I am because I don't read the appendix at all. The story's over. Like, I know, I know what the storyline was. I'm done, right? Slap, it's done. But in God's word, there's nothing that's wasted. So God's, God's appendixes are always important for us to read. And as we get to this text this, this morning, we know that God is calling us to live urgently. God is calling us to live passionately. God is calling us to live intentionally uh, in light of his return. And then the author of Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul, gives us some final instructions and benedictions. It's sort of like the notes that mom leave with before they go away for a weekend. You know those notes mom leaves before they go away for a weekend? They give you know, the babysitter or whatever. Here's the binder. Here's the binder. My wife has a binder. Here's the emergency cards. Here's the, all the emergency numbers. And here's all the rules, bedtimes, internet rules. And at the bottom of those notes is always a PS with like all these random instructions. You know what I mean? And by the way, don't forget to clean the fish tank, make your bed, be good, mind your P's and Q's and all, and at the end again, and be good again, she says usually, right? Little XXOO, love mom. You know those notes? This is kind of what Paul is doing here. He's like, okay, got the story done, and, and here's all the main things. Now, here's a bunch of random things. Love Paul, kind of a fatherly thing to the church. And so let me read this for you. And uh, Paul didn't sign it with an XXOO, but we know it's done in love for us. Paul's don't forget list. Here it is, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeking to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for who? For me and you. 
Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you, I love this verse, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. We'll get to that one. And I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Doesn't that sound like a mother's leg, by the way? A little bit? This is Paul reminding us with 17 commands, I counted 17 things of kind of reinforcing, like, hey, here's how you live urgently waiting for Christ to come back. And to, so to save you from a 17-point sermon this morning, and everyone says, thank you, pastor. That's right. We do have a second service. I've lumped it into four categories of four real strong practical pointers to help you remain vigilant in your faith until Jesus returns, really is to help you finish strong. I'm taking this all right from the text. That's why I ask you guys to follow along. This is God's instructions to us. So we're just going to get right into it and try and unpack these in a timely fashion while hitting every single verse. Ready? Here we go. Number one, real simple. How do I remain strong to the end? Number one, honor your leaders. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Really, saying honor your leaders is a little bit awkward for me to preach because I'm your leader and I'm not standing up here going to say, you know, you've got to honor your leaders, but listen to this. This is God reminding you that it's important for you to honor your leaders. Look how Paul starts. We ask you, brothers. And you're thinking, well, this is great. He's just, he's just asking us. He's not commanding us. He's just asking us to maybe consider that we, that we honor our leaders. Paul is asking us in the same way I ask my kids to get ready for bed. Our littlest one absolutely hates bedtime. Hey, Nick, I'm asking you to get ready for bed. You know what he always says every single night? No, thanks. You don't understand, I'm asking you, like, this is not like, hey, I'm asking you, like, I am asking you to get ready for bed. No, thanks. All right, now you're starting to tick me off. This is Paul. He's asking us, but it's really not an ask, it's a command. I'm asking you to respect your leaders. Well, why would we do that? I'm glad you asked that, because there's three things right here in the text. They labor among you. They work hard. It's not just telling us, respect your leaders this blindly, like, hey, you got to respect your leaders. Well, why should I respect my leaders? Because they work hard. Look what it says. They labor among us. They labor among you. Do you realize that leading is hard work? Sometimes people think that leading, I think, is this easy thing. And, man, I want to be a leader. That looks easy. We have coffee with people. We get to stand up in front of everyone and give our opinion. And, and it's all just fun and games. It's hugs, hugs, pat a few babies on the head. And let me tell you this. True laboring for Christ in the church is hard work. It's blood, it's sweat, it's toil, it's labor. There's tears involved, and we do this together. Church and following Christ isn't supposed to be this little country club where, we all, club where we all come and just hang out a little bit. We are laboring together for each other, with each other, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And ministry is not this play, thing where you come and just punch a clock and like, oh, I did my 40 hours this week. It's all-inclusive, 24-7. Here we go. Whatever the church needs, I am ready and on call to do this. It's, it's not just a job. It's a calling. It's a calling that any 
honest, diligent study of the scriptures would take very seriously. It's, it's passion, there's joy. I'm sure there's blessing and there's the wonder of being able to lead God's people. But your whole being is involved in this thing. Your mind, your heart, your soul. You guys can go to work sometimes and you're not there, but you're there. It's pretty hard to do that in ministry. So why do we respect our leaders? Because they work hard. What else do we, why else do we respect our leaders? Because they're responsible for us. Look at this. They labor among you. They're over you in the Lord. It's not this idea of being like, I'm over you. I'm over you. It's more this idea of like, they're, they're over us. They're, they're covering us. They're leading us. They're protecting us. They're guiding us in the things of the Lord. How does a leader become over a congregation? Because you go to seminary and you choose that I'm going to then lead a church. No, God puts them there, right? God's ordained church. He's ordained church leadership. We believe God is sovereign. In other words, nothing happens outside of God's control. So leaders over us, we recognize that means that God put them over us. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5. God didn't just ordain church. He ordained church leadership. And they're responsible for us. Not just over us, but do you realize your church leaders are responsible for you? When you stand before God, you account for like one person. If you're a father here, you account for your family. Mother, you account for your families. Do you realize when we stand before God, we give account for our lives? Guess who else's lives we give account for? Mm-hmm. Yours. Why do you respect our leaders? Because they are over us. They're responsible for our spiritual well-being. It says in Hebrews chapter 13, 11, that that's why God's word says to obey and submit to your leaders because they keep watch over your souls and they give account for you. I don't know about you, but that's a little bit terrifying for me. Thank you, Lord, for his grace and his help. Why else do we respect our leaders right here in the text? They keep me on the right path. See what it says? They are over in the Lord and they admonish you. There's a word nobody likes anymore, right? Admonish. Anyone want to be admonished this morning? I didn't think so. No volunteers, right? No takers. Well, I don't need to be admonished, but I can think of somebody else that needs to be admonished. <laughs> but here's what admonished means, and this is why God put leaders over all of us, that we'd be under somebody's instruction, which also carries a corrective influence, that we'd be taught the ways of God through the word of God. Ultimately, this is what, ultimately what this is saying is that our leaders actually keep us in line. They point you in the right direction. Part of the role of a leader isn't just to encourage and slap you on the back and tell you you're doing good. That's the fun part of being a leader. Seeing things that are going well, like, oh, wow, you're doing so well. Like, keep going, you're doing awesome. You know, the hard part of being a leader is when you see things that aren't going so well and you've got to come along and admonish somebody. Don't be bringing that in my house, pastor. Well, what does the scripture say here? This is my responsibility before the Lord. And as elders, this is what we do before the Lord. This is where it gets difficult. And so we respect our leaders because they're willing to live out the calling of God to admonish the brothers and sisters when necessary in love with humility, with the heart of restoration, but to admonish and to correct. Do you realize that this is part of the job that is so crucial for your own health and the mission of our church? The admonish part. Leadership is not an office or a title, but a vital task. And that's why Jesus, God says, hey, if you're going to live strong to the very end, just don't forget that I put people in your life to help you and to encourage you and to challenge you along the way. So here's why we, here's why we respect our leaders. Here's how we respect our leaders, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. 
We esteem them highly in love. It says in 1 Timothy 5.17 that elders who rule well are worthy of double honor. We're to esteem them or we're to value them. It's, it's not esteem. It's like, hey, let's get our pastors and elders right up here on a pedestal and staff. That's not it. Who's on the pedestal in our church and every church in the universe? Who's on the pedestal? That was weak. Who's on the pedestal? Please don't forget that. That's who's on the pedestal. We're not, I'm not here saying, like, yeah, you need to esteem me, but value and cherish. You know what goes a long way for sometimes church leaders? Just a little note, just a little word. Just, you know, we don't need the, like, for he's a jolly good fellow. We don't need that. We don't want that. It's no good for us or you. Especially as I get older and I get heavier. It's no good for us or you. But just those little notes of, like, thankful, we love you, those go such a long way. And then B here, look at what it says. Be at peace among yourselves. Here's how we honor our leaders, by being at peace among ourselves. Really what he's saying here is, for goodness sakes, get along. I put the leaders over you and they're leading you with the best way they know how. I get along and give deference to their judgment. And, and you all know what happens when people decide not to follow the leader, right? Chaos. Remember my wife worked for a, a little farmer's market in between teaching jobs. And you know how long she lasted? Two weeks. You know why? Because everyone was a boss and she was the only worker. You know how that goes? Uh. And so be at peace. And being at peace insinuates that you're going to not question every call or be suspicious of every move or quick to pounce on other people's humanness. But we're going to follow our leaders and we're going to aim to be at peace with everyone. It's pretty self-explanatory, I think, the application for this. This first point, just respect your leaders. Seems everyone wants respect today, right? But very few are willing to give it. Well, I deserve respect. I deserve respect. But we all do. But then give it? Here's what I find in today's culture. When you mention the word leader, especially in the church, there's all this like, no one's going to be leader over me. We're all priesthood of the saints here. And yet, you see in Scripture, God calls it. God ordained it. God established it. You see this fear of leadership. Well, we don't want them to get too high. Amen. We'll pray that we don't get too high. Or we've got this hurt in our heart because, man, someone's leader's hurt me before, so I'll never respect another leader. Well, that's kind of the wrong mentality, don't you think? Can you imagine everyone did that in your life and you hurt them, and so they're never going to love you or trust you again? Or we've seen leaders fail. Anyone seen a leader fail? You know why my hand's up? Because I'm the leader that's probably failed in many ways. Not perfect. We, we say we don't want the superhuman leaders, and oh, I don't want this, I don't want this person to be the be-all and the end-all, but then we set themselves up, we set them up for these expectations that they can't live up to, and so when they let us down, oh my goodness, they're not a good leader. Who can live up to that but Jesus Christ? And so we've got away with this, gone away with this notion of respecting our leaders. Now, thank goodness it's not in our church. I don't see this at all, maybe individual hearts, but as a collective whole, it's not this way. I'm very thankful for that. We just got to stop and say we do feel loved and cherished and valued in our church. We do. As evidence of the fact that I'm still here after a very hard season. A lot of churches, you know what they do with pastors that go through what I went through? They just say, go on, move somewhere else. We, need, we don't need a broken pastor. Well, thank you for being willing to take a broken pastor. Super thankful for that. We know the love. We feel the love. And I just want to encourage you to keep that up and, and pray for us so we don't get cocky and arrogant in any of these things. But don't, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and see all the leadership things going around the world so I'm not going to respect my leader. Please don't do that. That's, that's, that's detrimental to your life and, and the life of the church and even the ministry of Christ. And here's what it's, just to help you understand, this is what it's not saying. No, it's not saying that you blindly follow leaders and respect them at all costs even when they sin. It's not saying that. You hear me? 
We've seen enough of that in the world today too, haven't we? Well, they're the leader. Well, they're being a sinner right now. So you know what leaders who are sinning should be called? Sinners. Not to this thing where we respect them above all things. That's not it either. Doesn't mean you blindly follow. Doesn't mean you can't raise questions to leaders or call them to account. If there's corruption and, and sinfulness and wavering from the truth, if leaders are being unbiblical according to the qualifications in Timothy and Titus and 1 Peter, let's be honest, we all have blind spots. None of us are perfect. We might need some loving rebuke and calling out sometimes. So it doesn't mean that we're going to be in these little cults. I think what this is saying is if you have this heart to nitpick, your leaders, which some of us do because somehow we get in this mentality, well, I could do it better, well, I could do it better because, well, I don't know why, but I can do it better. It's really just saying just take a step back and maybe not critique or criticize or be contentious with your leaders. Instead, lift them up and pray for them and be leadable. I want to tell you this as elders in our church, we say this often in our elders' meetings, we, we're, we're never going to mandate that you respect us ever, ever, ever. You know what we're aiming for? We're aiming for to earn your respect. We're aiming to earn your respect. I pray you see that and can respect that. I get this is kind of an odd section to preach. Well, maybe someone else should preach that. Well, apparently I'm the pastor, and this is that's why we go through the word systematically, right? And so this is what it says. That's point number one. You want to make strong to the end? Honor your leaders. Pretty simple. Honor your leaders. Do a heart check. Am I honoring my leaders? Or do I resent them because I feel like I should have that place for some reason in the church or in my own life. Look what else it says here. Second thing. If you want to remain strong to the end, fight for each other. Fight for each other. Really what he's saying here, he says in verse 13, be at peace among yourselves. In other words, don't fight with each other, right? Next verse, he says, fight for each other. In other words, we need each other to get to the end of this race and finish as strong as we started. And we urge you, it says here, and we ask you and urge you, it's really the same word, just ask seems passive to us, urge seems strong, the same word. We ask you, we urge you, brothers, and you can put a little bracket, sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see to it that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Really what it's saying here is, is if you guys want to be strong until Jesus comes back, you got to fight for each other. you got to be in this together. We're, we're like a little army fighting for the Lord Jesus Christ. The culture is against us. The people of the world are they're against us. We can think we want to be friends with people of the world, but they're really against us in so many ways. And the only way we're going to do it is if we stick together. It's, it's sort of like when you send an army out into the battlefield. Do you ever say, like, okay, guys, split up and do your thing? You don't have to tell soldiers to stick together. No, they're like, okay, who's got my back? You got my back, I got your back. Let's do this thing together. This is what it's saying here. And, and, and be willing to fight for each other even when it gets difficult. Look at some of the, 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 the calls he asks us to do. So be willing to be admonished, right? It says that be willing to be admonished by your leaders, even leaders, be willing to be admonished by each other in the congregation at times. And we urge you, brothers, now it's, this is the part we like. So now I can be on the admonishing end of things. I like that, right? Admonish the idol. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Starts with admonishing the idol. What does idol mean? Does it, when I think of idol, we know what admonish means, right? To teach, to correct, to call out, to reprimand at times. When I think of idol, I immediately think of that able-bodied, 
lazy person sitting around in their sweats, playing video games, not really willing to help themselves or each other, mooching off the government and everybody else. And that's really what it means in this passage, idol. That's kind of the image of what Paul's getting at. Admonish the idol in an active sense. The idol is a person who's unruly or insubordinate. In the passive sense, an idol, uh, the idol is a person who likes to take a pass on discipline and responsibility for their own daily lives, for their own relationships in the church and, and in their Christian walk. In fact, Paul, in the next book, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he places a, devotes a whole section to talking about those who are freeloaders, who neglect their daily lives and live in idleness. Really what he's saying here is, is, is really admonish because you love them, confront them because you love them, those who are loving the perks but taking a pass on the works. Loving the perks and taking a pass on the works. Well, that's kind of awkward, isn't it? Yep. That's going to put myself out there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, isn't that what the leaders are supposed to do? Well, the leaders are supposed to do it, but guess what? It's, this is not Everybody. Kind of like we help each other out. We admonish the idol. Glad it's not me. Let's be honest. We all get into those places in our lives where we become lazy Christians, don't we? How come no one's agreeing with me? You're all like, (laughs) eyes shifting back and forth. We all get to the place where we become lazy in different areas of our lives. I I can be called at times an idol Christian. What do I need when I'm an idol Christian? Someone come along and say, I love you enough to tell you, like, come on, man, get back in the word of God. I love you enough to tell you you can't waste this job opportunity to support for your family. I love you enough to tell you that that you shouldn't just sit on the sidelines watching everyone else to enjoy the blessings of serving in the church. You need to use your gifts in the church. I'm loving you enough to tell you it's time for you to be a giver, not just a taker. I love you enough to tell you you need to fight that sin battle and, and not just sit around waiting for it to happen on its own. Admonish the idol means that we're willing to be on both sides of this. Next one. Encourage the faint-hearted. What's the faint-hearted and the timid? Maybe those who are a little bit shy, unsure. Really, the word means a short of soul. Those who are fearful or feeling their gifts aren't worthy, they're not needed. Those who are easily discouraged or despondent. And, and sometimes we can all be faint-hearted. I just don't know if I'm making a difference. Uh, I'm not sure of myself. What do we need in those times? We don't need someone to come and pound us down. You're right, you do stink. We need someone to prop us up and to encourage us. No, you can do it. Go for it. We're here with you. Don't sit back in the shadows. Get out into the light and let God use you. Encourage the faint-hearted. Spur each other on. Sometimes in our lives in North America, it becomes about our race, our race, our race. You know what it's also about, as God's word says? Somebody else's race. Sometimes it's going to be on the sidelines just cheering other people on and not being the one in the race saying, on, cheer me on, cheering somebody else on. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak, those who are new or fragile in faith. I can do that. I'm not weak. Give me a break. We're all weak at times. We all need brothers and sisters around us to... to Help us. Help the weak, those who are new in the faith, fragile in faith. Hard times come. We become weak. We're not nearly as strong as we think we are. Some of us grew up in this this church culture that you can't admit weakness. You can't admit weakness. It's wrong. It's actually biblical to admit weakness. When we admit weakness, we realize that we all need Jesus. We need his strength. 
What do we do? We help the weak. When you're struggling, admit it and get help from others in your weakness. Times of temptation and hardship when your physical limitations come and you're spiritually down and you're just weak. Carry others and allow yourself to be carried by others. One commentator says this, weak are fellow, our beloved fellow strugglers, not unimportant stragglers. Let me read that again. Because I think we get in this, this, this culture of like, oh yeah, you're struggling, you're just weak, you're weak, you're weak. Here's what one commentator says, I loved it. Weak are beloved fellow strugglers. You can write this down if you want, I'll say it slow. Weak are beloved fellow strugglers, not unimportant stragglers. Good, hey? Help the weak. And then this one, oh my goodness, this one. You gotta circle this one. Be patient with them all. Who am I supposed to be patient with? All of them. All right, well, I admonished you once, so like, you know, you're on your own now, and I tried to encourage you, and uh, it's just too much effort for me, and I just don't know, oh, you're exhausting, and, and you're so weak. You're weaker than the weakest of the weak. Go find other weak people to help you be weak. Be patient with them all. How do you want people to be with you when you get in those idle, faint-hearted, weak spots? One and done? You want people to be patient with you? You know the most patient people in my life? My family, you know why? Because they know the real me. Our elders are second on that list. Be patient with people as you want them to be patient with you. Then look what it says. See that no one repays evil for evil. None of this tit-for-tat stuff. You know, well, they were mean to me, so I'm going to be mean to them. And, well, they did this to me, and so I have every right to... Oh, let's be done with that. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. In other words, just do good by each other. Just do good by each other. This is how you're all going to be strong to the very end. Can you imagine if a church actually lived this out and took this to heart and put other people before themselves and really strive to do good to everyone? Forget the evil for evil thing. In this context, they're thinking, remember they're being persecuted a lot? Andy said that in the first sermon. They're being persecuted a lot. So you know temptation is when you're being persecuted? You punch me in the face, I'm going to punch you back harder. Don't do that. So I think a lot of us hold restraint on the outside. We're outside. That we know, people know we're Christians, so you can, you can persecute me. Get inside the church, and all of a sudden, well, we're all Christians here, and we should know better. We hold each other to higher standards, and well, you know, you hurt me, so I'm not. You let me down, so oh boy, are you going to know it, and I have more expectations for you, and you deserve. I don't have to tell you that Jesus said often, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. First time, Matthew 5, 44 to 48. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 to 21 is another great passage on how to avoid evil. It says, it says the same thing, basically. No evil for evil. Do honorable to all. Oh my goodness, to everybody? To everybody? But I don't like them. Doesn't matter. Don't even get vengeance, it says in that passage, because vengeance is whose? It's only mine. I hope they didn't, because that's wrong. Yeah, my, There we go. I heard mine, and I was like, uh-oh. No more rhetorical questions in this service for sure. 
Vengeance is the Lord's, right? And, and then it says to love your enemies. And how do you love your enemies? You actually do good to them and you feed them when they're hungry, when they're thirsty. You give them something to drink and you heap burning coals of love on their head so they're like, I got nothing on this person. Both inside and outside the church. You know what this is really telling us? Be Christian. Pretty simple, isn't it? How do you remain strong to the end? Just be Christian. Here's a little test of how you know how you how to know to respond in different circumstances. Is it good? No. Don't do it. Is it good? Yes. Let's take that path. Simple test. You can, you can do this test. You can be great and want to do this test. Is it good? Do it. Is it not good? Don't do it. All through that little section, you know what it's telling us to do? That we need each other. We need each other to get to the end. We need to be a mob mentality. You know the mob mentality is little junior high punks. You got two of them and they're like, ah, they're nothing. You get like 40 of them. They think they can conquer the world. All of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, we're tough. You're like, you're still not tough. You just got 40 of you guys that are weak. But the mob mentality, as Christians, we're supposed to be the mob mentality, like fighting for each other and being with each other and taking each other. And the goal for each other is not to live up to my expectations and get to the very end that we might all see Jesus. It could have been 17 sermons. I am fighting to make this one. Number three, anchor your heart to Jesus Christ. How am I going to finish strong? I'm going to anchor my heart to Jesus Christ. I'm looking for his return, so my heart is anchored to him. I wish Paul wasn't so random, be easier to preach. I think he had ADHD. And this, and this, and this, and don't forget this, and don't forget this. Verse 16, and rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. You can almost picture him, eh? Scribbling all these notes, got to get this, got to get this, got to get this. Hear that, hear that? Anchor your heart to Jesus. How do you do this? Here's how you do it. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. If this isn't circled in your Bibles, do it now, please. In other words, there's two ways that we walk through this life. We either push God away from us or we run to God and hold tightly to him. These are three core exercises for every believer every single day to, see, to anchor your heart to Jesus and see God's plan for your life with clarity. Right here, rejoice always. Summarizing this is worship perpetually. Worship perpetually. We can either walk through life like this, even as Christians. You know Christians that walk through life like this, right? I'm a Christian, but I'm walking through life like this, or walking through life like this. Oh, I'm just going for a little stroll. I'm a Christian. Walking through life like this. Worship perpetually. Rejoice always. Joy is a part of the kingdom of God. It's actually the, this is actually the shortest verse in the Bible, for those of you nerds like me who like these things. This is actually the shortest verse in the Bible, in the Greek. I thought Jesus wept. This one's shorter in the Greek, so there you go. Rejoice always. I think you could memorize the shortest verse in the Bible, couldn't you? Rejoice always. Joy is part of being a part of the kingdom of God, as opposed to complaining or murmuring or putting on the good face. And it's not saying here that we're supposed to be like Ned Flanders, like Hokley Dokley, happy neighbor. It's saying rejoice always, continue to Praise God and enjoy the presence of God even when the circumstances around you are adverse. This is what rejoicing always means. 
Sometimes you have to move a few boulders to find reason for rejoice, but you can find them if you're willing to move the boulders. Joy is a deep satisfaction of seeing God in everything. Pray without ceasing. Pray incessantly. Your first option, your second option, your third option in every circumstance is to pray. Pray without ceasing as opposed to forgetting about God when things are good. And running away from him and being self-reliant when things are bad. This, actually, this word prayer is really linked with worship. It's, it's pray. It's, it's find a reason to praise God and, and to look to him for strength and to always be in touch with God no matter what's going on. Number one on your speed dial of your heart ought to be to God. Give thanks in all circumstances. Notice it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. How are you today? I'm just being thankful for this mess that I have. No, it's being thankful in all circumstances. In everything. Three constants of the Christian life that never get old, they never get outdated, they're never irrelevant. Let's move on to something new. I already learned that, like first week of Christianity. Great, get back to what you learned the first week and maybe we'll be all set. Look at the words it uses. Always, without ceasing, in all circumstances, the continual pattern of a healthy Christian life is we fight hard for these things. It's easy when things are good, isn't it? Oh, right now my life is like eight cylinders. We're flying and I can do this every single day. What happens when one of those cylinders clicks out or a second one clicks out and your engine's sputtering? Then what happens? Then it gets a little harder and can I, can I really, can I really rejoice always when things are going bad? I know. Life's hard. Life's unexpected. These Christians do get cancer diagnosis. And the people we love get them as well. Christians have heart attacks and strokes. Christians have people that walk out on their lives and even sometimes things in the church get difficult. And things don't always work out the way that they should. Well, what happens then? What happens then is that we can still rejoice. Well, how can you say that? I've been, hard, I've been through harder things than you'll ever dream of being through, you may be thinking to yourself. Maybe you have and maybe you haven't known what the rest of us have gone through. Because we all go through hard things. How can I rejoice in those? We can rejoice in those. You know why? Because we still have a God who loves us. We still have a God who's there for us. We still have a God who says he'll never abandon us. And he says he'll give us whatever we need when we need it. season of my life that I just went through, my wife said to me one day this phrase that I don't think I'll ever forget. And, And I was basically in that place where I wasn't really rejoicing and I was asking her, I was asking her, I was like, come on, like, I, just, I just need the Lord to, to show up, but I don't have anything to rejoice over, and I, I know that God is true right now, but I just don't feel, you know, she said to me, she said to me this, she said, Daryl, you just stop it right now, you don't have to think about it, or believe it, or feel it, it's still true. You don't have to believe it, or think about it, or even feel it right now, it's still true. You know what that gives us? Reason to rejoice. We have a constant and in those times when you think God's not listening, guess what? He still hears our prayers. He promises he will hear our prayers. Prayer still makes a difference. Prayer doesn't always change the circumstance, but it sure changes our hearts. We had this plaque in our home that we've got when we first moved here. And it says, when it's hardest to pray, pray hardest. 
Why? Because prayer is still real, it's still active, and still vital in our lives. We still keep praying when things get tough, and we can still give God thanksgiving. Train your mind to focus on the things that you can be thankful for today. I might not be feeling good today, but I'm still alive today. Might be a dreary day tomorrow, but I know tomorrow is going to happen, and I'm thankful for that. A new start, a new day. Awesome. I have people that love me. My family still loves me. My church family still loves me. They're willing to fight for me, and we have a lot of reasons to be thankful, don't we? Start making your own list and hold on to it. When times are good, make your list. When times are bad, like, hang on to that list. This is God's will for you what he wants for you and from you. A couple more ways here to anchor your heart to Jesus. Walk in close proximity to him. Walk in close proximity to him. Look what verse 19 says. So we worship perpetually, we walk in close proximity to Jesus. This is how we're going to get to the end. Do not quench the spirit. Don't limit the Holy Spirit in your life. Live a life that's wholly surrendered to God the best way you know how. Don't quench the spirit. Well, what's that mean? We all have the spirit. Yeah, we have the spirit, but we can sure quench the spirit. What's that mean? It means that we take control back for ourselves. It means that we choose to walk in sin instead of righteousness. It choose to, we, we choose to live forgetting about God and just thinking about us and our own worldly perspectives. It quenches the spirit. What does it mean to quench the spirit? It means fire. Campfire. Bucket of water, what does that do? It stifles it, it chokes it, it puts it out. This is what we can do. We can't get rid of the Holy Spirit. God lives there forever, but we can sure quench him. We can tuck him behind a kidney somewhere and try and avoid the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Don't quench the Spirit. Live surrendered to the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Prophecies here is not looking into the crystal ball of the future, but those times when people tell you like it is from God's word. The straight up proclamation of God's word. The prophecy is a declaration of the mind of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Don't despise it when you hear something from God's word that makes you cringe because you know it's hitting your heart. Let me get to a good passage. That is a good passage for your heart if it's hitting you in that way. Don't despise prophecies. Test everything. Test everything. Get the word of God out and compare everything you have to the word of God. Your thoughts, your ideas, your ideologies. Compare them to the word of God. Don't ask your mom. She might be some good advice, but use this as truth. Don't, don't take your best friend's word for it. Test everything. Don't take the latest internet preacher's word for it. They might sound good and look good. Test everything by the word of God. What's your favorite book as a believer? Well, I like romance novels. No, you don't. You love this one. Sports are all right. They're all right, but this one, we test everything. We hold on to the word of God. We hold fast to what is good. Kind of already covered that. It's like mom saying, be good. You already said that, mom. Be good. Well, I think I have to say it again. Hold fast to what is good. Possess it. Commit it to memory. What's good? The truth of the word of God is good. Jesus is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Outward evil, inner evil, the appearance of evil. Abstain from it. Don't go there. 
those little rationalizations in our minds. But it feels good. Forget about how it feels for the moment because it'll kill you in the end. But God's word is not quite clear on how far I should go with my boyfriend or girlfriend. So as long as I'm not, get away from that. It's not really sin. It's not really gossip. It was a prayer request. You know how they go. Like, get away from it. Don't, don't even dip your toe in the cesspool of evil. Don't even sniff it. Run the other way. Allow Jesus to be the anchor of your heart. The king of your heart. The Lord of your life. Allow him to sit on the throne of your life. Grasp tightly Jesus. Daily remembering who you bow to and who you follow. Who will I walk with today is a great question to ask yourself every day. Who will I pattern my life after today? Answer always, Sunday school answer, Jesus Christ. Here's the last one. Trust God's got everything covered. Simply trust that God has got everything covered. Ultimately, this is the way you're going to get to the end. This is the way you're going to be ready for Christ's return. This is the only way that you can ever apply all of the things we've studied over the last eight weeks together through 1 Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, how much? Completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Another one, there's so many nuggets in here. Another one you got to highlight and write down somewhere on your wall in your house or not on your wall, but on the card that you put on the wall, the wall of your heart. Brothers, pray for us. It's a great one. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Ultimately, at the end of the day, here's what we do. We trust God's got everything covered. Trust that the God of peace will lead you and guide you and give you the internal rest and reprieve you need to live out his calling in every circumstance. Trust that God is going to sanctify you completely. We've already learned about sanctification in 1 Thessalonians. He's going to sanctify you completely. Not just partial sanctification that God wants to do in you. It's complete sanctification. It's not like, well, I'm far enough along now. I don't need God to sanctify me anymore. I already have enough of the sanctification. No, it's completely he's going to sanctify you. Who's going to do it? God's going to do it. It's always going to be comfy. Will it hurt sometimes? It's not always going to be comfy. It might hurt sometimes, but get this. God's accomplishing everything in your life to sanctify you completely so when Jesus comes back, he knows you're his. God does that. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. What will he do? He'll give you peace. He'll give you sanctification. Here's what else he'll do. He he will perfect your faith, it says in Hebrews 12, 2. Philippians 2, 13, the God who works and wills in you according to his good purpose. This is what he's going to do. He who calls you, God calls you, God's faithful. He's going to work and will in you according to his good purpose. Here's what else he's going to do. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Jude 24 and Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So pray for each other. 
knowing that it's all about God and not about us. It's about Christ on the cross. So the Holy Spirit is what God has done and what God is doing that's going to keep us to the end. So pray for each other. Greet each other with a holy kiss. I know young men are like, sweet, finally I got permission. The French way, you know, the but don't try it because you'll get it wrong. You'll end up planting one, you know? <laughs> Greet one another, holy kiss. I put you under the oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I think the whole book comes down to verse 24. The whole book comes down to verse 24. If you left this series thinking, okay, now i got to buck up, and, and now I'm going to do this, now I'm going to do this, now I'm going to do this, you're missing the point. The point is, is that yes, you do your part, but ultimately it's God who's going to do it. It's God who's faithful. Interestingly enough, January 1st, before I was coming back to work, I was sitting in my house and, and praying my heart out, coming back to work, and you know the verse God gave me? 1 Thessalonians 5.24. You know, the first verse I wrote back on my whiteboard in front of my desk. So every time I sit down at my desk, it's right there. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's all we need. It's all we need. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You can't do this on your own, but God promises he will do it for you and in you and through you as you simply submit your life to him and commit yourself to following Jesus. It's about God's strength, not ours. How are you going to get to the end of this race? Only by God's grace. One of my favorite stories of the Olympics, just to leave this with you in closing, to kind of drum this point home, my favorite stories of the Olympics is a guy, about a guy named Derek Redmond in 1992. He was a 400-meter specialist, won the European Games and the World Championships, and in the, in the semifinals of the 400 in, the, in the, the Olympics in 1992 in Barcelona, he, from Britain, he burst out of the blocks, and he was, he was doing his thing, and around the first turn, he tore his hamstring. I don't know if you've ever torn a muscle before, but it kills. He crumpled to the floor, to the track in a heap, and everybody was in stunned silence, one of the favorites, and the camera's like, <gasps> The favorite is out, and, and kind of that moment where no one knows what to do, and out of the stands, this great big man came bumbling out of the stands, and the security guards came to surround him, and he pushed them off. He ran out to his son, and he picked up his son, and together, the, the picture's on the screen here right now, together, he helped him finish the race. And he hobbled around basically on one leg, his torn hamstring, you're done. On one leg, he hobbled the, the next, the, the last 300 meters around the track and finished the race to a standing ovation as the crowds erupted watching Derek finish the race of no accord of his own, but all in the strength of his father. Isn't that a sweet picture? That's what you can expect from God. You are crippled, you are lame, you will fall. But you put your arms around your father and he will carry you around that track. And you will get there and you'll think you did it but it had nothing to do with you and everything to do with your God. Amen, amen? Let me pray that these things can be a reality in our hearts. God, we thank you for the book of 1 Thessalonians. We know that every word is ordained by you. Every word is important for us. Every word in the Bible shows us the greatness of our God and shows us how we, how we live this life to the glory of God. Father, I pray for every single person in this room today. Father, would you make these words not just be words on a page, not just be words coming out of the, this weak old preacher's mouth, but they, may they be words that the Holy Spirit attaches himself to and drives them deep into our hearts. Father, would you find us to be a faithful 
church? Would you find us to be faithful individuals and faithful families who simply keep our eyes on Jesus, knowing the ultimate prize has nothing to do with this world. The ultimate prize is seeing you in glory forever. Remind us of that daily, Lord. Help us to help each other. Keep the right perspective and the right focus. Oh God, may not one of us fall off. May not one of us fall off and be lost. As we journey through life, may we follow your calling the best way we know how with the power and the strength of God the Father through the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray this morning that there's someone here that is hearing all this stuff and they don't know. They don't know that if they were to meet Jesus today that they would be in his presence forever. They've never put their faith in Jesus. They've never grasped onto the hand of Jesus as their salvation. They've never trusted Jesus Christ to forgive them from from their sins and lead them into eternity. God, I pray even today that they would even sense that there's something off in their lives, that they're missing it. And they would for the first time today say, God, I surrender. I want to finish this race. I want to be with you in glory and I can't do it without you. And we find people in this place that would trust you as their Lord and Savior for the first time today. Would you inspire us, the rest of us as believers, to not be proud, to not be arrogant, to not think of more highly of ourselves than we ought, but to pursue you with every ounce of energy, knowing that you are completely worthy. And one day we're going to see you in glory. Oh, what an amazing day that's going to be. Keep us until that day in Jesus' name. Amen.